Happy New Year. And uh, again, I'm, I'm really thankful to see all of you that were able to make it out here despite the snow and sickness and everything going around. And uh, also hopefully some of you who were stuck in the snow can are joining us online now. Uh, like I, I mentioned earlier, I am on staff here. Typically you would see me leading worship on a Sunday, uh, but I am very excited always when I get the opportunity to serve a different role in the service and uh, open God's Word together with you this morning. Um, so I'm really looking forward to this time that we have in His Word. Um, I don't know about you guys, but uh, we're coming into a new year, and um, I'm not sure that I feel entirely uh, renewed and rejuvenated and, and ready for a new year. Um, it's been really a long couple of years leading up to this one. Um, and I think for many of us, we are a little tired. And we have a pandemic that seems to keep dragging on. Uh, our, our problems seem to keep compounding. And uh, here we are facing another new year and uh, looking forward and uh, maybe with some trepidation, not quite ready for a whole new year again. Uh, maybe not. Maybe you're ready to go. But I think um, for me and for many people, we're like, all right, here we go again. Uh, let's get through this one. So I hope that this passage this morning that we're going to read will serve to encourage you. Uh, and give you not just hope uh, for a new year, but also a charge and a mission that we have to go out into this new year ready to serve the Lord. Um, So if you would please bow your head and and just pray with me one more time as we enter into this time of hearing from God's Word together. God, we thank you again for bringing us here to this place safely, and we come now before you as we open your Word, and we ask God that your Spirit would help us to understand Uh, that your word would do what it does, that it would pierce our hearts, that we would be convicted and anew of what you have to to show us in a passage that may be familiar. And we remember the words of of Psalm 19 that we read earlier, that your word is perfect. And I pray that as I present it, uh, what I speak and what what I show in your word would be pleasing to you and would be from you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles near you, or maybe you have a phone with the the Bible app on there, go ahead and find, uh, we're going to be in the book of Luke this morning, Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 22. Um, While you're flipping there and finding that, um, I think anytime we jump into a book just one Sunday, we're just going to be in Luke today, just a one-off sermon here, I think it's good to remind ourselves of the context. Where are we at in the book of Luke? What's going on? What is the book of Luke all about? Now, if you are a Christian and you've been around for a while, you know it's all about Jesus. Um, But actually, specifically, uh, Luke tells us in the first few verses of the book what he's trying to do here. So I think it's important. I'm just going to read. You don't have to flip there, but it's Luke chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. He tells us exactly what we're supposed to get out of this book. Starting in verse 3, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So Luke has been around in this first century um, while all of this stuff with Jesus and the apostles and the church is going on, and he's basically been just writing it down. He's been keeping track of it. He knows the whole story. He knows it really well. He's gathered all these accounts. And so now what he has set out to do here is put them in an orderly account He's put together all the stories about Jesus, about his life, and he's put them together in one place so that you, he's writing it to Theophilus originally, but now us, to you, Christian, 
so that you may have certainty about what you have been taught about Jesus Christ. So as we're reading through the book of Luke, um, remember that he wrote it in an order for a reason. He put together this account in the order that he thought made most sense for us to read it. Um, that's true of every biblical author, but Luke literally tells us that. So it really makes you key in to what he's doing here. And so in light of that, before we jump into verse 22, we're gonna, I'm just going to explain where we are, what's going on, really from the beginning of chapter 12. So you can kind of glance there as I talk you through it. Jesus is teaching his disciples. Uh, but it's not just his disciples are there. Many thousands of people were gathered around. So you can kind of picture the scene. Jesus if we're in here, Jesus is standing, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm Jesus, that's not what I'm trying to mean here. Just the picture the image. The disciples are kind of in the front row, you know, they're right here. And then all around the disciples, thousands of more people coming to listen to hear what Jesus has to say. And so, right there in verse 1, he began to talk to his disciples while everyone else was listening. And he keeps on doing that until verse 13 of chapter 12. Somebody from the back of the room yells out, teacher. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And so Jesus shifts his focus from, from his disciples in the front row here. He looks back to the crowd, this man who's shouting out, and he tells them this parable of the rich fool. Um, so I'm just going to explain this parable because it's really important for what we're going to read starting in verse 22. He tells the man a parable about this rich man. He has produced a ton of stuff and he has nowhere to store his crops. His, his barns are too small. He has so much abundance, his barns are too small. And he's like, you know what? I need to make sure I keep all this stuff. I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to have so many barns, so much food, so much storage that I'll be set for life. I'll be good to go. So he does that. And he tells his soul in verse 19, uh, soul, relax. You have, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But then, verse 20, God says to him, you fool. This very night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is for the one who lays up treasure for himself. And that is where we find ourselves as Jesus turns back to his disciples. He's just told the crowd about this rich fool who stores up treasure for himself that ends up being useless because uh, he dies and it's just is gone. It was worth nothing to store up all that stuff. And so now he turns to you, uh, the disciple of Christ, the Christ follower, and he says this. We're going to read just the first half first. And see what Jesus has to say. A passage is probably familiar to many of you. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? So we're going to stop there. I think this teaching from Jesus is in these two parts, and we just read that first part there. Um, basically, Jesus goes through and he presents almost 
logical arguments about, hey, why should you worry? You don't need to worry. He tells us first, don't worry. And then he gives us four reasons why, of course, you shouldn't worry. And we, uh, earlier in this year with the youth group, or I guess last year, back in the fall, we, uh, we were talking about anxiety, and we, of course, we passed by this passage, a very famous one about this subject. And uh, the way I explained it to them, Jesus basically dismantles worry. I mean, he just goes through and he's like, see this, why would you worry? See this, why would you worry? He almost presents it as obvious. He's like, look, don't worry. And so first, we're just going to go through and look at those four arguments he makes and just try to follow the logic of why we should never worry. If we're a disciple of Christ, we don't have to worry at all. The first argument comes in verse 23. He tells his disciples not to worry about food or clothing. And then in verse 23, he says, For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. That's Jesus' first argument. It's almost so simple, you don't even... I I passed it over when I first read the, the passage again. I didn't even realize that was one of his points there. But really think about it. Take a minute on your own here. What are the most important things to you in your life? The most important thing. If you're going to pick the few things, what are the most important? And when we really think about it, at least for the Christian, hopefully for sure, it's not the food we're going to eat or our favorite sweater or the clothes we wear. Um, Things that came to mind for me, family, uh, our kids, people we know. There's like things like that that are more important to us than food and clothing. And we know that, and yet we worry. We worry about provision. We worry about how we're going to get the things we need. And so Jesus' first point is, hey, just think about what's important, and then don't worry about the stuff that's not important. That's his first argument for why we shouldn't worry. Second argument, uh, verse 20, where are we at? 24. He moves on. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Here Jesus addresses this issue of food. Food, something we need. We have to have food to survive. And he makes this argument from lesser, this little bird, to greater us. And he says, look out the window. Maybe they're sitting outside as he's teaching this. See that bird that just flew by? Uh, You don't see it building a barn and storing up food. You don't see it plowing a field, trying to make sure it has enough food for the winter, get it in the barn. Uh, For all we know, he's just out there flying around, picking up whatever he finds. And yet, somehow, God feeds that bird and he takes care of him. How much more are you who is made in the image of God, who is a disciple of Christ, God's going to take care of you. If he can take care of little birds, he will take care of you. That's Jesus' second reason. Say, hey, don't worry, look at the birds. Third, he goes on to verse 25. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? This is another introspective reason that he gives us. First, he told us to just think about What's actually important? So don't worry about the unimportant stuff. Here he says, think about your life and realize how little of it you're actually in control of. Nothing you do can add hours onto your life. There's another way, the other way you can translate this is nothing you do can make you an inch taller or an inch shorter. No matter how hard you try, you really want to be taller, it's just the way you are. You can't change that. Um, I like the phrase, one of the commentaries I read used the phrase, the impotence of anxiety. It doesn't work. It can't do anything for you. It straight just re- does not work, um, even for little things in your life. So why would it work? Why would you worry about anything else? Because you can't change it anyway. That's Jesus' third argument. And fourth, 
he addressed the food issue with the ravens. He comes back to that food and clothing idea in verse 27 and 28. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today, that tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? And we'll stop there. Fourth argument. They're still, you know, they're sitting outside. Look at this flower right here. You don't see the flower break out a loom and start weaving. No sewing machine. He's not there trying to make it look pretty. It just is. It blooms and it's a beautiful flower. God created it that way. And that beautiful flower is more beautiful than <clears throat> Solomon, who at the height of his power, if you read in First uh, Kings chapter 10, silver was counted as nothing. He made everything out of gold. I mean, it, everything was gold. It was beautiful. It was grand. Jesus is saying, look, God closed this flower even more beautiful than that, and this flower is fleeting. You get flowers from the store, a week later they're going bad, and you're throwing them in the trash, and you've got to get more flowers. Um, again, lesser to greater, how much more important are you than the flower? You're made in the image of God. You're his disciple. If he can take care of the flowers, he can take care of you. <clears throat> so these are the arguments Jesus makes. Again, he kind of is just like, he presents it almost as obvious. Of course you shouldn't worry. Look at the birds. Of course you shouldn't worry. Look at the flowers. But I think for many of us, uh, those arguments aren't even that comforting. We, uh, we're like, okay, the birds, yeah, but what about, I got to get this. Oh, yeah, I mean, the lilies, they don't really have clothes, though. You know, you're kind of like trying to figure out how those arguments are supposed to help you. But Jesus tells you why those arguments don't bring us that much comfort. It's right there in the end of verse 28. Oh, you of little faith. That's the issue when we're worried about stuff, uh, when we're anxious about how we're going to provide, when we're worried about how we're going to get enough money to pay this bill, or we're worried about this thing or that thing. It's because we don't have enough faith. And it's not that we have no faith. Remember, he's speaking to his disciples. These are the people who are following him. They're obeying his commands. They're learning from him. They believe in him. Um, just the same as all of us come to church on Sunday. We try to read our Bibles. We try to be good Christians. We try to we, we believe in God. It's not, that's not the issue. It's that we have little faith. We need more of it. And to put an even finer point on it, I think that our issue in our world today, if I could try to diagnose it, why we have little faith, it's because we don't actually view the world around us through the lens of our faith. We have faith, we have our quiet times, and then we go about our day. And when we see the bird catching a worm, when we see the flowers... Uh, we don't actually attribute that to God. We say, oh, cool, a bird, and we just keep moving. Um, we aren't viewing what's going on in the world around us through the eyes of faith. Part of the issue is that as we learn more, this has just been going on for thousands of years, but the more we learn about stuff, the more we tend to take God out of it. Uh, we learn about how the birds work. We know that, oh, the, bird, the, the flower actually uh, gets you know, sunlight. It gets into their cells. It converts it to energy. It grows. And we're like, okay, that's cool. But we don't think, actually, that's God sending the sunlight to the flower. God made the flower to grow like that. We're not actually seeing the world through that lens of faith. And again, it's not about that we shouldn't learn how things work. Uh, when we learn how things work, it should cause us to worship God and to realize how incredible he is that he would provide um, in the way that he created things. So really simply in this first section, this first half, before we move on to the next part, God says, don't worry. Here's why. 
it makes no sense to worry. And your issue, if you are still worrying, is that you have little faith. When we did this passage with the youth group again, I, I was reminded as I was going through preparing for this sermon, I just we were going, we were doing a couple passages, so I just read this one and uh, I just asked him one time through, what do you guys think? Do you feel less anxious? Like, does that help you? Do you have a way to kind of, now, is that a tool to help you be less anxious? And one of the students answered very honestly, no, it doesn't really help that much because it kind of just sounds like Jesus is telling me to just not worry and it'll be fine. Um, And I know you guys have probably had this experience. You're really worried about something. You're trying to figure it out. You're looking at all the angles. You're trying to figure it out. You're like, hey, come look at this. To your friend, your friend comes up, oh, just don't worry about it. It's never helpful. <laughs> it's not helpful when people just tell you to not worry about it. It's kind of like the, uh, the pink elephants thing. If I tell you not to think about pink elephants, it's impossible. Don't worry. Of course you're going to worry. You can't just say don't worry and it works like that. Well, thankfully for us, Jesus doesn't leave it at just don't worry. In this second half of the passage, starting in verse 29, there's a shift towards action. Because really when we are worrying, it's an active thing that we are doing. We are actively trying to figure out how we're going to do it. We're actively worrying about whether this end's going to meet that. Uh, and so in order to not be actively doing that, we have to be actively doing something else. And that's what Jesus tells us starting in verse 29. I'll read the second half of this. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. There's a key thing to clue in on here where where there's a shift. That's why I broke it up here at this point. Starting in verse 29, do not seek what you are to eat. So far, Jesus has just told us to just don't worry, and here's why. Now he says, don't seek all that stuff. And he's going to give us, and instead, seek this. That word seek (coughs) is translated a couple different ways. I think when when we read seek, it's not that strong of a word. We think like looking. Hide and seek, you're like searching for something, um, which that is certainly a part of it, but there's another translation said, set your heart on, don't set your heart on these things. And even the word I like the best was don't strive after these things. Striving gives us that idea of you're working towards it. There's a goal and you're trying to get it and you're working to get there and you're trying all these different things, you're moving towards it, you're striving. All of those concepts are in there, seeking, striving, But that's the idea that that Jesus lays out for us here is that when we're worrying, we're seeking and striving after providing for ourselves when we don't need to do that. Verse 30, for all the nations of the world strive after these things and your Father knows that you need them. Remember that we started with that parable of the rich fool. Um, Jesus reminds us here that our Father knows what we need. He's speaking to his disciples, not just any random people. These are his followers. And as a follower of Christ, as a Christian, as his disciple, 
You have a great Father in heaven who desires to give you good gifts. You have a Father who's never going to let you go. We're going through Romans uh, right now. When We'll start up again next week once uh, Lucas is back. Um, but we just read this great passage in Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read it because it's, again, even though we read it a couple weeks ago, just because it's so good and a good reminder for us in this new year. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's why we don't have to worry. God knows what we need, and there's nothing that will ever separate us from Him. We are supposed to look different than the people of the world. We are supposed to look different than the rich fool who stored up for himself because God knows what we need. We are secure. We are eternally secure in Him. He's going to provide what we need. And so we don't have to seek and strive after those things. He is going to give them to us freely. Just a reminder, also in Romans 8, it talks about how we will suffer in this life. So it's not that, you know, we follow God and we're going to prosper and have a giant house and have tons of food and clothes all the time. Um, There will be probably moments in our lives where we don't have that. But the reality is that the future glory that we are looking forward to, that revelation passage that we read, that new kingdom that we're going to live in, is so much better than any hardship we go through on this earth. And we know that we are going to make it there because our Father loves us and He has brought us in through Jesus Christ. So now that we know that, we're supposed to look different than the world. Our Father knows what we need. Instead, what do we do? We seek His kingdom. Verse 31, Instead, Strive after his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So in this verse, all of a sudden, Jesus introduces this concept of the kingdom. And it's not really all of a sudden. If you're reading through Luke, you've already hit that concept. But for us to understand what we are to do instead, instead of striving after things for ourselves, instead, we strive after God's kingdom. We have to figure out, well, what is God's kingdom? In the book of Luke, uh, and really throughout, it's this concept of this already and not yet. Jesus has entered the world, and in Luke, his disciples go through and they proclaim the kingdom. They tell the good news of the kingdom. So it's this thing that has come. They're telling people about it. There's good news for people to hear. But also in Luke, we see this idea that the kingdom is a place. The kingdom, there's going to be certain people who are in it and certain people who aren't in it. There's there's an end goal. There's an end kingdom where we're all going to be if you're, you know, as you read through Luke and see those different passages. So for us to seek his kingdom, to strive after his kingdom, is to strive after the things of that future kingdom, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom now, looking forward to that kingdom to come. And so to put it really simply, it's to be a Christian. It's to follow Jesus, to be his disciple, to obey his commandments. Um, It's think of the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We're trying to, we're striving towards that end kingdom. We're trying to bring the things of that kingdom about now. And we do that by, again, being a Christian, doing all the things we're supposed to do, loving our neighbors, loving our enemies, serving people around us, giving of what we have to other people. This is what it looks like, the opposite of this anxiety and this worry that we often have. Instead of worrying about how we're going to make ends meet, we instead worry and strive after how we're going to serve God today how we're going to serve the kingdom, how we're going to usher in that ultimate glory that's going to come in the end, how we can do that right now. 
And we'll get into practical examples of what that looks like in just a minute. But before we do, in this account in Luke, Luke records something Jesus said that's not recorded anywhere else. Verse 32, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Just in case you forgot that in verse 30, he already told us that your Father knows what you need. Here he reminds us again, Fear not, your Father is going to. He is good pleasure to do it. He's going to give you the kingdom. And in fact, he did do that in Jesus Christ on the cross for all of us who follow him. Um, we don't have to worry. I think as I was thinking about this and looking ahead at this year, like, all right, so do not worry. I just have to be a good Christian. Well, um, I don't know about you guys, but I'm not always a good Christian. Uh, I often screw it up. I often mess it up. I miss my quiet time. I miss whatever it is. I don't give to the poor. I am selfish. And so I'm like, I'm kind of like, oh, but it's impossible, right? How, I'm always going to worry. I'm never going to be able to fully seek his kingdom. Fear not. Your father it is his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And again, like I said, he did that. On the cross, in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, uh, if you follow him, it's Romans 8 all over again. We're secure. We're good to go. Um, you don't have to worry. You're in. Now you seek his kingdom. But don't worry. You're going to get it in the end. So now, practically, Jesus gives us an example, and he ties it really closely back in to that parable of the rich fool. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So Jesus gives us a really practical example. We don't even have to wonder what it looks like to seek the kingdom. He tells us in verse 33, here's an example, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Give to the needy. Um, I've, I've heard before evangelicals accused of telling people to just read the Bible. Read what it says, that's what it says. And then in other places, supposedly, we don't read it and we don't do what it says. Oftentimes, it's in relation to how, what do we give to the poor? What are we doing socially and that type of thing? Um, so we're not going to water it down. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Um, what it doesn't say is sell all your possessions. It would be very unwise of us. This is not the point of the sermon. Don't leave here and sell your house and sell everything you own and just hope that God is going to provide and give you a house the next day. That is not what this verse is talking about. Um, <clears throat> we also know that our things are good. Our Father knows we need them. We do need food and clothes. Don't sell all your food. You need food. That would not be wise, and that's not what this passage is suggesting. What it is suggesting, however, is what it's asking you a question. What are you striving after? Where is your treasure at? Where is your heart at? Are you striving after getting that extra, I got to get that bonus, that extra paycheck, that extra raise so I can make sure I have enough for this, and I got to make sure I get that extra food at the grocery store for this? Or are you striving after the things of his kingdom? And so one very practical way to strive after the things of his kingdom and not other things is just to sell the stuff you don't need. Remember this passage talks a lot about food and clothing. So I was thinking about my life. I was like, all right, what can I get rid of that I don't need? Again, not just sell everything, but what do I get rid of? Um, if you all came here this morning, you had to wear a winter coat. You need a winter coat to live in Chicago. You're not going to make it this winter if you don't have one. Um, so don't sell your only winter coat and just walk around in a T-shirt. Uh, but if you're like me, you also have seven winter coats in your closet. 
uh, and you're holding on to all of them for one reason or another. There's, oh, there's that one, though. I don't want to get rid of it. That's it's sentimental value, you know. That's the first one I had. I like it a lot. I wear it every once in a while. I can, I, I don't, I'm going to keep that. And then you also get a new coat for Christmas. <laughs> so I think for me, as I'm reading this passage, well, just go home. Give some of those coats to someone who needs a coat. There's no reason for me to store up a bunch of stuff that I want to hold on to that's just going to go away in the end. There's no reason, reason to keep my favorite coat that doesn't fit me anymore when there's someone else who it does fit who needs it right now in this Chicago winter. Um, that's the idea here. Examine your heart. Examine the things that you're holding on to, clinging to, you don't want to let go of it. I really like that thing. I'd rather keep it. But you don't need it, and there's someone who does need it. That's the idea here in this passage. I thought about it with food as well. I go to the grocery store. I'm like, oh, I like that. I like that. I just get everything I want. Uh, oh, I could use that too. And then two weeks later, it's going bad. I never used it. When there are people who need food around us in our community. Um, it's this idea of, again, what are you clinging to that you don't need, that you should let go and give to people, to people who need it? Jesus tells us to provide ourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with the treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Um, we're not going to, this is not the sermon to get into what are the treasures in heaven, what is all this that he's talking about. But what it is, is a direct contradiction of the rich fool. Instead of storing up stuff that's useless for us, we store up stuff that is useful in the next life, the place that ultimately matters. And how do we do that? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's again, being a Christian. It's not storing up things that are going to go bad. It's looking ahead and trying to get that kingdom here and now. Get the things of the kingdom going now. Ultimately, he ends it again with this heart issue. It's not a possessions issue. It's not an issue of how much money you have or don't have. It's not an issue of what exactly you give to people. It's an issue of your heart. What are you seeking? What are you holding on to and clinging to that you can get rid of? <clears throat> and more specifically, to loop it back into when we're talking about anxiety and worry in this new year, take an inventory of, of what you're worried about. Sit down today, this week, um, as we head into this new year, and think about what are the things that take up my headspace? What are the things that are always bouncing around in my head, distracting me from other things? Those worries that are always getting to me. What are they? Identify them. And then just get rid of the stuff that's causing them. And that's not always possible, I know. But you can take time to figure out what are the things your heart is clinging to that aren't good. And you can get rid of them. You can sell them. You can give them away. And you'll be much less worried and anxious and you will be seeking God's kingdom. So as we look back at this passage and look forward to a new year, we can take heart and we can be encouraged that we don't have to be anxious. And in fact, if you are a disciple of Christ, you do know him, you do follow him, you truly have nothing to be anxious about because we have been rescued and saved and brought in by the cross of Christ. You can take peace in the fact that your God knows you, cares about you, he's your father, he's your good shepherd, and he's going to take care of your needs, whatever they are. He's going to take care of them. If you don't know Jesus, if you're not a Christian and not his follower and you're hearing this message, you don't have that same assurance. Uh, it is not there. This is, this is a passage for 
his disciples. Um, but you can have it. And I pray that if you hear that, you can come talk to me or anybody in here and we'll tell you about how to follow Jesus. Finally, just practically, before we head out, um, if you're doing New Year's resolutions or whatever this year, that's great. You know, try to lose weight, try to do this and that. That's all good. But seriously, sit down and take some time and figure out what are you worried about this year? And remember that Christ has you completely. You're totally good. And you can get rid of that stuff that's worrying you. You can sell the things you don't need and you can give and you can seek his kingdom. No matter what happens this year, we don't have to be anxious. We're commanded not to be anxious. We can take heart and follow God. We are free from anxiety to go and serve and seek his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this teaching that many of us have probably heard many times, this passage, a favorite of mine, that we should be seeking first your kingdom. And I pray that we would do that as we head out of here into a new year. That we wouldn't be bogged down by worries or anxieties, but that we would be free from those so that we are free to seek your kingdom. God, I also pray that we would just take inventory of our lives, take stock of what is in our hearts. What are we holding on to that we don't need? Where are ways that we can be serving others around us? Most of all, God, I pray that we would never forget what Jesus has done for us, that no matter what happens in our life, we are secure in him. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.